Hello and welcome to another episode of the How to Hobby Podcast with your hosts, Sean and John. Man, we are here, Sean. Once again, another episode to come to the listeners. They're excited. I can hear the excitement through the internet. I've got this new, uh, it's, it's good feelings, right? I, I can sense, I can, <laughs> I can sense our, our viewers. Okay. You know what? I'm going to stop right there. Sean, how are you doing this week? I am doing, I'm doing pretty good. I got to say it's, it's good to hear your voice. The audio is coming in nice and clear. So <laughs> it is, uh, it's been a hot minute since we've, we've hopped on the phone. So I'm, I'm glad we could do this. I'm doing pretty well this week. Um, it's been a pretty intense couple of weeks. I just got back from a trade show in San Jose, did five days up there and drove a 16 seater Ford van back from San Jose, uh, Sunday, late Sunday night, didn't get back till one to two in the morning and then had to go to work bright and early Monday morning. So (laughs) wait, wait a second, Sean. (laughs) Sean, formerly known as the Candleman, now he's doing <laughs> trade shows. Yes. Uh, what you got to you got to clue me in. You got to clue the listeners in. What kind of what kind of trading are we doing here? Is this like Pokemon NFT? What what kind of trade? It is are, as different as you would imagine. It was actually a quilting show. So, uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. So Kate's uh, aunt has a, a business where she does art using wool and wool felt. And so she sells gnomes, pattern gnomes, framed kits, uh, all kinds of art done on, done with wool. And so she goes to a lot of these trade shows for quilting because a lot of the women who are into quilting also are into stitching wool. So this is the first show we've done in over two years because COVID. And right before our show in January, uh, Joan ended up having a heart attack in uh, late December. And so she wasn't, wasn't in the right health for the show in early January. Then COVID hit. We haven't done a trade show since, but with the restrictions lightening up a little bit, we were actually able to do a, it's called the uh, Pacific International Quilt Festival, PIQF. It's done at the Santa Clara Convention Center up right next to Levi Stadium for anyone who's familiar with that, literally across the street. And wow. it was it was fun. We did one day setup and then four days for the show and then drove home Sunday. Um, didn't have as much business as we were hoping for, but it's the first trade show back. So people are still kind of weary about it. But it was it was a blast. It was really cool getting to talk we're, to the customers. Worry about <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know if I can touch that wool. I I, I can't. Uh, I don't know if I can feel it without getting COVID. So I know. Well, it's I, more um, the the average. We'll say the average age for people who go to quilting shows generally tend to be in the higher numbers. So, okay. Yeah. um, Yeah. They're generally a little bit more, more worried about it, but it was, it was still really fun. We got to talk to some customers who we hadn't seen in a couple of years and, and they were really glad we were there and it was, it was just really uh, warm. It just gave you a warm feeling getting to actually talk to these women again. And it was a lot of fun and running, you know, your own business is fun. So trying to sell stuff, relearning how to use a cash register and a cash box and, and actually swiping (laughs) cards and printing receipts and all of the good stuff of actually selling your own retail stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun. 
Wow. Yeah. And you've, I know you've kind of been the nuts and bolts behind this business for a while, right? You've set yep. up the website, you've kind of been the one pulling the strings, uh, for, for your, hey, remind me, it's your, it's your aunt or Girl, girlfriend's aunt. It's Kate's aunt. Okay. Um, okay. yeah. So well, that's it, so it's, great. Yeah. I've been the, the web designer for her for a while when she was using her old software. And then when she decided like, look, I can't do this anymore. The software sucks. I helped her transition to using Weebly a little bit more, uh, friendly, uh, a little bit more, uh, easier for someone who's not very skilled with web design. So I, I relaunched her entire website using a whole new design, all of relaunching all of her products, doing all of the product pictures in Photoshop and getting all of that set up. So it's been a lot of time invested, but it's just fun. You know, she's family and it's just really fun to do a private business, you know, for your own. It's just fun being on, being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we can talk more about that. Um, mm -hmm. for all the entrepreneurs out there, I mean, I, I haven't really done much with, with my own, products ever. I don't actually, I don't, Sean, I don't think I have any products, but, uh, when I do, I'll come to you because I need to know how to set up, uh, the website and you know, how to, how to make change with a physical cash register because <laughs> it's been years. I remember my days back in the old Navy slaving away behind the, the cash register, trying to get old Navy credit cards. And, oh man, that was, yes. uh, it is interesting using an actual cash register and, uh, but also swiping cards and using square and remembering how to use the software and, uh, just, just also interfacing with people again, you know, it's been so long since we've interfaced with people on a daily basis that spending four days face to face with people, having conversations again and building those relationships, you can't beat that. You can't do that remotely. So that, yeah. that was, that was just really fun. There's a, she's doing another show in January time called road to California. That's up in Corona. And, uh, we're going to, we're going to do that one as well, but I'm just glad to get back into the business. That's great, man. Well, I'm happy for you. And did you have any, uh, highlights as far as you were there for four days? Um, how was the trip overall, the travels, the, any terrible, uh, experiences in the airport. Um, not, you know. <laughs> not really. So the, the flight up, we were delayed a little bit. We were flying Southwest. It was right after the whole Southwest kind of shutdown thing last weekend. Yeah. And so, or the weekend before. And, uh, so it was kind of delayed coming in, but wasn't too bad. Only by like 40 minutes, not, not the end of the world the flights only like 58 minutes long from takeoff to touchdown. So it's, uh, really quick. And then we ended up driving home because Joan didn't want to drive by herself that late at night. So we ended up doing the whole, I think if we made it back home in a little over seven hours, seven and a half hours. Oh yeah. From San Jose. So we, yeah. We cruised. Wow. We cruised. Yeah. That's a, that's a I good, was, you I were was moving. pushing the limits of that van. <laughs> 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 we were, we were seeing what that little Ford engine can do, but uh, it was, it was just a lot of fun. I will say, Coming to work Monday though was brutal after only having like four and a half hours sleep. I, uh, I'm still, I still consider myself young, but man, that I, I'm like, this is just not as easy as it was a few years wow. ago. 
Yeah, I know. And well, what does that say? It's not like we're going into the office. So <laughs> crawling over to your computer. Exactly. I feel, man, I've been feeling the same way though. Something about the fall, mm-hmm. the body just naturally seems to fall into this, no pun intended, uh, rhythm of I'm going to stay in bed longer. And it's because it's cold. Yeah, it's cold. That's what you know? it is. I mean, it I woke so up this good. morning. I had my fan on in my window all night last night. My so my room was roughly the same temp as outside. So it was like 49 degrees in my room when I woke up. Yes. And then sitting it because my desk is in my room. When I now sit at my desk, I'm freezing because <laughs> it's 40, 50 degrees in my room. Sean, how are you cold? <laughs> you have you have a wool business. I, I don't know. Come on, I, uh, man. You got to start investing in your own product. <laughs> it was, uh, it's, I was freezing, but it uh, kept me awake this morning for work. So, but I, this is my favorite season for anybody yeah. who doesn't know me out there. Cold is my thing. I love the cold. I love when it starts getting dark around like four 30 when, when it's dark before I'm even off work. Like that's, that's my, my dream. I love the winter and fall. So this is my thing. That's why I'm really trying to plan a trip next spring into Maine. So right as right as they come out of that cold snap and things are starting to wake back up, but it's still nice and chilly in the morning. That's, mm. that's my goal is to do a trip out there next year. Perfect. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, that's on my books as well, or on my list, I should say. Uh, not sure if I'm going to be able to do it next year, but yeah, Maine is definitely there's some hiking out there, man. There mm-hmm. is some major things to see. So, well, good for you. Any notable things about the, uh, the car sounds like it did make it. So you, um, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm trying to pull all the drama out of this experience <laughs> at the wool conference, but I, I mean, I'll tell you the drive home was pretty sketchy for a while. They had high gust winds and we're in a Ford and it was a Ford transit 16 seater. So it's, it's a huge wind sail. And so driving down cedar, so is there actually 16 seats and you know, so we, we had three seats pulled the rest out so we could load the van with product. So it was, it was a full van. I didn't even have a rear view mirror because we stacked the back of the van so tall it blocked the back windows. So it was a full van driving in the wind at late hours. I mean, it was like 10, 11 o'clock when we passed the grapevine and there was really, really gnarly windy winds at the top. Um, so that that was, that was kind of sketchy, but we made it home in one piece cranked through and then, um, you know, passed out within a few minutes of getting home. So it was pretty nice. Perfect. Well, I guess we, uh, we can move on then to to the next, the big, the big ticket item for the night. Um, and we want to thank you guys for, for joining once again, this is the, the how to hobby podcast, Sean and John unplugged here as we close out the fourth quarter, we're just taking a, a new form to you guys. Uh, definitely let us know your thoughts. Uh, give us a follow on the Instagram, how to hobby podcast. And uh, you can reach out to us on our Gmail as well. If you have a direct question, Sean is always Mm-hmm. He's always checking every day. He checks it every day. Sean, we've actually been getting some followers. So shout out to uh, all the people who have been following. Yeah. Um, yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the how to hobby crew. And thank you. Uh, and then of course we do have a website, how to hobby And that's the best way to find all of our content. But Sean, we're going to talk tonight about 
some of the things you've been going on or been going through at school. Sounds like there's some uh, some gun related mm-hmm. uh, news that you have to share with the listeners. Uh, I have some some big things coming up this weekend. I'm excited uh, for a big event. I'm going to be taking part in this weekend, this Saturday, Sean. And I was also traveling last week. So, yeah, this is going to be a packed full episode. And Let's do it. hopefully you guys stick around to, to hear more, more about the wool master himself <laughs> and, um, and me, Johnny P. So Sean, I I'm interested. I, you said there's something going on regarding your school. I know last week you were talking about, um, being really into school right now mm-hmm. and, uh, just having a lot of yearning for learning. Yep. So what's going on? Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, so I'm, I'm in school. I got my degree in, in engineering, but I've decided I don't really want to do that my whole career. So I'm getting a degree in marketing uh, and then probably some degrees in, in project management and some business management after that. And eventually my MBA is my dream goal. So, um, but I've decided to start at the community college level. And this semester I did something a little different instead of just taking the the two classes I needed for my degree, I decided to also take a philosophy class just as a fun, just doing something different, branching out, kind of developing who I am with a a cool philosophy class. And I'll admit it's one of the coolest classes I've taken. It's absolutely amazing. I really enjoy it, but the workload is really intense. And as much as I enjoy it, it's becoming more of a chore than a enjoyable task I look forward to every week. And my whole thing with going back to school is I'm doing it because I want to, not because I have to. And as the second I started not enjoying it, the second I started feeling major anxiety with uh, trying to, to handle that with everything going on at work, with everything going on in my personal life, it's just, it's just not uh, really doing it for me at this moment. I think I'm not, I don't think I'm getting enough out of the class as much as I could be. Uh, so uh, for the first time, I'm actually going to end up dropping a class and which is really first weird time, for me. First time ever. You never yeah. did in your undergrad. Oh, wow. No, nope, I never did because I was under the mindset that I think a lot of people are in our generation is you have to go to school and you have to graduate as fast as humanly possible so that you can get out and work so you can find a good job so you can be successful, even though that's not the case. You don't realize that until you're actually out in the world. but my, my goal was everything in in school was about getting that piece of paper so I could get the job. And so I did a lot of unhealthy practices, you know, I took more classes than I could. Um, you know, I really cranked through and I got good grades, but it was really at the expense of my health, my mental health and my physical health. And so now that I'm going back to school for fun, you know, I'm a little bit older now and I, I know a little bit more about myself. It's just not, it's just not happening to me. It's just kind of starting to mess with my mental health a little bit and feeling too much anxiety. So I am going to be dropping the course. I'm still taking my marketing classes. So I have one class right now, business promotion that I'm currently working through. Then I have one more class next semester. And then I graduate with my associates in marketing, but yeah, for the first time dropping a class, which I'm really struggling with because I feel like I'm failing myself by giving up on it but I'm really having to get past that kind of childhood mentality of uh, I'm a failure because I failed at something rather than 
it's cool. I failed at something. I, I couldn't handle it, but that's not a bad thing. I'm just recognizing who I am and what I can, can achieve right now. And it's just not that class. So, well, that's um, great, man. I think, yeah. uh, you got class by dropping the class. So, <laughs> Uh, it is interesting though, because I remember last episode, we talked specifically about the philosophy mm-hmm. and how much mm-hmm. you were enjoying it. So, Hey, that's the, but it's a perfect showing of our favorite mantra here at the how to hobby podcast, which is take chances, make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you took a chance by taking another class for fun in your new state of mind when it comes to of interacting with school and sounds like it's a more healthy view. So that's, I applaud you for that. I can also tell you, I dropped a couple classes when I was going through school. Um, they were mainly to do with, uh, well, you know, I was big into music. And so mm-hmm. there was a time where I, I actually had to drop in the middle of my first real full-time semester of engineering. Um, I would think I was taking SolidWorks two. Mm-hmm. There was an opportunity for me to go to New York and audition for uh, an off-Broadway show that I that I I had been pretty much working at when it came. It was Stomp, and you know, you maybe oh, you've yeah. heard of oh yeah, Stomp. I've seen Stomp. Oh really? Twice. Okay, I've seen Stomp twice. Yeah, so I um I I was playing with a bunch of non-conventional mm-hmm. um percussionists at the time in San Diego. And my old director was actually a, a member of the cast at one point in time. And so he always got information when they were going to be doing new auditions. And he called me up and said, Hey, well, they got auditions happening. You want to go? And I said, yes, I do. It just was at the cost of my, (laughs) some of my classes, I was able to salvage Mm -hmm. some, but I couldn't continue that. I was missing a, cause I had to, be gone for an entire week. And as you know, with engineering, if you're, if you miss two classes, it's kind of like the, it's brutal. It's the death of your, of your engineering that semester. So yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. And I, I had to, I didn't get in the show. So I actually had that double failure. Not only mm. did I had to, had to drop a class, but I didn't, I made it pretty far into the, um, the process of, you know, auditions but, uh, I was, I didn't make it to the final day. So that was, man, talk about a gut punch. That was like a Mm -hmm. double whammy in my young state of mind of, wow, I did not. And actually it's really interesting, but two of my friends that I went with, it was a group of four of us that went and two of us got in all the way through. And then two of us didn't. So yeah, dude, it was, Ooh, yeah, that was a tough. That's a great example of uh, take chances, make mistakes. I mean, you can't, there are a few chances in life where you can take a risk, like traveling to New York and trying out for a Broadway style performance. I mean, that that's intense. It was so props man. To you for doing that. Yeah. And it was, it was well worth it. I loved every second of it. I mean, I love New York city. It's, it's an amazing city. It was it, every day going down to that theater. I'd wake up early you know, practice a little bit, make sure I was on, on my form and then mm-hmm. head down. And yeah, it was great. I mean, even the small taste I got, but man, when I didn't get that call, that was, I went oh. back to where I was staying. I just remember like being in the bathroom, just like looking in the mirror, like, Oh, that was rough. <laughs> oh. Um, but anyway, well, I'm sure everything will be fine. You're still, you have a good head on your shoulders to move forward 
And uh, we'll be we'll be waiting to hear where you're at with the with the rest of your your workload. I mean, it's hard, man. <laughs> it's it's definitely hard. And I don't even have kids. I'm just trying to to manage my own life and going to school and working. So it's it's impressive the people that can do it. it. It's just this this time around, it's just not working for me. I know I want to take the class again. It's been one of those classes that really pushes what you think. I mean, like who you think you are, uh, because you're really focusing on other belief systems, everything from religion to free will to the meaning of life uh, and just to philosophical thinking in general uh, debating and stuff. So it's, it's been the most growth I think I've had in a class, but it's also the most work I've had in the class in a long time and it's just not working for me. So I yeah. think I'm going to kind of end up dropping. I still have a couple of days to change my mind. Uh, I have oh. a huge, I have a huge project due this weekend. So okay. <laughs> it really depends on whether I get oh. to that project or not. But, uh, the college was lucky. I'm lucky enough that they've extended the drop deadline to receive a withdrawal rather than receiving a fail grade. So it won't hit my, it'll be on my record, but it won't hit my GPA, which is oh, what that's is good. Really yeah. Important. Just don't get that. Uh, just don't get that, that fail. That's for sure. <laughs> well, on that note, let me, uh, talk about some other hard things because yeah. I, um, and well, not hard, but depending on who you ask, uh, maybe it's a little bit hard. I actually took, it was the first time this last weekend, I was able to take my son and daughter on a big road trip to Arizona. And it was just me and them. Uh, I wanted to give my wife a a nice weekend by herself. Um, we, we drove out to Phoenix. So it was a good little, um, I'm, I'm trying to like, build it up, mm-hmm. um, build up the tolerance for the kids. Um, so it was a good little first round five hour. I mean, we've done a couple road trips, me and my wife and the kids, but this is, I want to be able to, you know, take them out and all of us go together or sorry, I like give my wife a break instead yeah. of her always just having to deal with two crazy kids all the time. Um, so it was great, man. They did really good. Uh, and I got to see a, a good buddy from, from school. Nice. I think how you, oh, go ahead. Uh, what were you going to say? I was gonna say, how did you keep the kids entertained on the ride? Cause I feel like that's the hardest part of a road trip is keeping the kids engaged or having them sleep. Well, so what I did was I found that earplugs are a great mm. antidote to all uh, issues on the road. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like earplugs are a good solution to a lot of problems in life. <laughs> they are. No, I'm, I'm totally joking. That's actually what my, my mother-in-law was asking me. She's like, did you bring earplugs? And I was like, no, actually I didn't. Um, I did think it at one point. Um, no, they're actually great. We have a, a DVD player in the car. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a cheat code. Got it. Um, I put on a movie but my son still, he's, he's just one, he just turned one years old. So, uh, he's just not really even at the age where he's willing to look at a screen necessarily, Mm -hmm. which is good. Um, but yeah, he just, honestly, it was, he was good. He just didn't really cry or, uh, I mean, a couple times I stopped in Yuma, you know, Yuma, Arizona. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's uh it's the gateway. Um, so I, I stopped there for gas and we kind of eat 
I had some sandwiches made for them and, you know, typical road trip stuff. Mm-hmm. We'd sit in the back. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great, man. Then we made it to the second part. So it was like five hours split up and we were, since it is the fall, we were driving through the night a little bit. So that also helped cause it made him kind of tired. Yeah. So I think that was another pro on my favorite. I didn't realize, but I think if I would have drove all day, like say early enough to where it didn't transition to dark, it would have probably been, uh Oh, like what did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. But, um, because we also drove through the night, it was great. Um, and then was able to spend some time with, they loved being able to meet my, uh, my friends there, um, from, from college. We were, <laughs> my, uh, my daughter was just going around the, picking up all their stuff, redecorating their apartment. It was hilarious, <laughs> man. So, and then he, I mean, they were both just really excited. Um, my buddy made a, it was like a ribeye or no, it was tri-tip. He had tri-tip grilled up. So mm. I got in, he hands me a beer and and some, and some tri-tip. And I was like, Oh, it That's was a welcome party. It was a welcome party. I was like, give me more meat. <laughs> um, yeah. We were both just eating like, like Kings. I mean, this thing, it was probably like a two, three pound tri-tip. I mean, it was like, it was pretty expensive. It was like a massive slab. Mm-hmm. And then his wife didn't even want any. I was like, what? Anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. The trip itself was very good. So we made it back. Um, it, the, the hard part though, Sean was, it was Friday, Saturday. So I took half day Friday. Okay. Um, and then drove back on Saturday. So that was the hardest, mm. you know, that one day turnaround can be hard on anybody. That's this, intense. This is part of the training, my man. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is like, we're, we're in the capsule. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Now you can start branching into some longer trips, maybe up to some like Northern California or, um, some other places, maybe a little farther into Utah, but there's some beautiful places out there. Yeah. We're going to do grand Canyon this coming Oof. year. So that's, and that's like a, a nine hour stint. Mm-hmm. It's about eight and a half hours. So that's going to be one. Um, and then, yeah, definitely Northern California. Me and my wife love Monterey. We just think mm-hmm. it's just, Oh, that's, that's like a jewel of, of the California state right there. You know, fresh, fresh water. Well, I mean, obviously it's salt water, but I just like the, it, mm-hmm. the area itself, the Marine areas, it just seems like it's so clear and clean and untainted by our effects, but then again, like anywhere else in California, <laughs> well, <laughs> I see enough plastic bags when I'm surfing to make me sad. So yeah. Yeah. Now then again, I'm sure there are some up there as well, but it's anyway. So Sean, enough about me and my crazy road trips that don't even that are one day turnaround. I want to hear about this, uh, this other news you have cooking up, um, behind scenes. I'm, um, I'm currently getting into hunting is my, my, uh, big pet project right now. So I, yeah, so I, it's something I, I never really thought I would get into growing up in California. Uh, I don't know anybody, none of my family or friends are really into it, but a lot of the other podcasts I listen to and the other just media places I get my media 
uh, are really big into hunting. And I just love the concept of going out and actually getting your own food rather than just going to the grocery store because I'm never going to be a vegetarian. I like meat too much. So it's never going to be an option. I wish, I wish you would have been there for this tri tip, man. It, you would have been just, and it was like, it was like rare too. Like oh it was, God. <laughs> uh, did you see that photo that Joe Rogan put up the other day? No, like I didn't. Some, I think he even put it up today. Well, go look at it. And that's the color of the, of the tri tip mm. that we were eating. It was like, it was, there was probably some blood if I would have anyway, it's the best way, but yeah, so it, I, it is. It was I, so good. I, oh, I really like meat and, uh, I don't like that. I, uh, don't know where my food comes from. I don't know where any, not a single lick of where my food comes from other than it comes mm. from the grocery store, you know, and that's really starting to get to me as I'm getting older and I'm paying more attention to what's out there. I'm also listening and watching a lot of new, uh, podcasts and, and documentaries about, uh, hunting, fishing, foraging. And so the old school way of living off the land and actually letting it provide you with the nutrients your body needs, rather than having to supplement that with vitamins, because we don't get the nutrients we actually need in the food that we buy from the grocery store. So, I really have interest in that. And so I really want to get into hunting. There's actually a surprising amount of hunting in California. I never really realized that. I always thought it would have been more somewhere like Texas and Midwest, but there's actually a lot of deer hunting in Southern California, a lot of hog hunting up North. Um, you can go squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting. There's some places you can do that too. So I'm currently working on building my dream uh, I will say dream starter, uh, beginner hunting rifle. So putting it together and work with one of the guys that we work with at our company, uh, who was in the military for a while and he's a gun guru. So, uh, he's kind of being my mentor and helping me shop and, and pick out what I want, but I'm working on building in. I, I know I'm working on getting a vortex for the scope. And then I'm probably going to do a Tika for the rifle. I'm not entirely sure yet, but probably like a Tika T3X. And then uh, in probably something like 308, which is a pretty good round to start on. So that's my dream. That's kind of the big personal project I'm working. I've bought a pistol. I built an AR and now I'm trying to build a hunting rifle. Wow. My goodness. Well, congratulations on this new undertaking. You are man once again outdoing me here sean i just don't have the i don't have the chutzpah these days to keep up to you it's just between the wooling and the, <laughs> the wooling and the wooling and the gunning i'm gonna have to start start uh really picking it up uh but that no that's awesome man so wait who is um do i know this person at work yeah, it's a Dante. Dante is oh, uh, okay. helping okay. us. He wow. was in the Marines for eight years and um, he used to, he used to live in Georgia and he used to hand load and walk outside his back door. He had a firing range literally on the other side of his like back door. And then he would hand load and fire them and collect dope and then go back inside and change the hand loads, go back outside. So he's really familiar with it. And I, asked him very kindly in a text, whether he would be willing to help me out. And he responds, I love researching guns. Give me what you're thinking. So <laughs> he's, if, yeah, I've got a really good mentor in him, uh, helping me out. Wow. So yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked. So that that's, that's the big kind of 
very weird thing I'm getting into. And it's only says weird because it's really weird for people in Southern California to be into it. So it's a little mm. bit harder to find. Why do, you, but, why do you say that? Is that just because Southern California is such a melting pot and everybody is... Well, it's, it's harder. So when you live somewhere in, let's say the Midwest or somewhere with more land, you generally have more access to, uh, we'll say guns in general, but, but hunting one, because there's more long range shooting. So you can practice more in San Diego. It's really hard to find long range practice, like actual practice ranges you can go to. I think there's only two and maybe three in like Southern California as a whole, because you need long distance. I mean, you can go out to the to BLM or the public land, but it's not the same if, if whether you're on a range and actually practicing. Then the next thing is that it's a lot harder to get to where you're going to be hunting. So, you know, in the Eastern desert of San Diego County, there's actually a lot of hunting out there. There's a lot of uh, ram hunting, uh, sheep hunting, deer hunting. It's a lot out there, but you know, you're talking two to three hour drives. It's like a hundred and something degrees during hunting season out there. So it's just the, the getting into it is a lot harder to do living in somewhere like Southern California. So it's, it's not impossible. You just have to put a little extra work in. So. No, that makes sense. I mean, I, I remember when I first came here, I, it was throwing me off the no long sight lines Mm -hmm. thing. It's, it's really weird. Even for people that may be in california you come out here where it's all rocky and yep and just hills mountains everywhere yeah you don't have a straight line of sight it kind of throws you off so yeah no that's cool man well um, congratulations on your new hobby you're pursuing i mean this is the how to hobby podcast so we got to keep it going and throw some of these things uh you'll have to let me know some of the resources for Cause I'm even curious about this vortex scope mm-hmm. uh, and, and what you're kind of thinking, is this like a powder or powder or is this a, I don't know. You sounded like you were throwing out terms that I wasn't familiar with. You're talking with so, a scope or with the rifle? With the rifle itself, but no, what, what Dante was doing in his backyard. Oh, oh, he was doing hand loading. So he was actually reloading his own rounds. So instead of buying boxed ammo, from the the store he was actually using his own bullets primers cases and powder and actually hand loading so each rifle fires differently every gun in general fires differently we'll talk specifically rifles right now so you could take two exact rifles that are made from the same manufacturer same lot but the actual physical nature of the guns the actual atoms will get down to the atoms of it uh actually affect how the gun shoots very micro uh vibration things Mm -hmm. and how the gun actually wiggles as it fires when the explosion goes off so each gun will fire differently and then if you start adding additional equipment to it that also changes the vibrations to it so if you're adding scopes on top or you're adding a suppressor on the end or cheek well uh, or anything like that it just changes the way the gun vibrates and so if the gun vibrates differently it shoots differently And so what you can do is actually tune your ammo to your specific gun. So the exact amount of gunpowder, how tightly the gunpowder is packed, how far the bullet is pushed into the casing. So there's all of that information that if you're really into it and you're really specific and you're really, really focusing on getting accuracy, mainly if you're like, uh, um, competitive shooting as kind of the people who really get into it, but some hunters do as well, then you're going to get really into hand loading and actually running 
test cases. So you load like five rounds, uh, test case A, B, C, D, and E. And so you do like five of each and then you go out and you fire those five rounds and then you pick, put up a new target and you fire the next five rounds and you're trying to see which is more accurate. And so you can actually get really, really accurate with your gun by hand loading. It's just a very tedious process and expensive. The equipment to do it is a pretty expensive, expensive upfront wow. cost. Okay. Well, I don't, I definitely don't have the, uh, the know-how or the mentor to get me to that level. I know that for sure, but, um, man, that's interesting. And it does make sense. It's kind of like most things in our life. Uh, you can take most things, even, even, well, I'm, I have a watch right in front of me. Every watch is going to be slightly different Mm -hmm. depending on who made it. It'll, it'll have all the same materials, but the movement inside is going to function just slightly different depending on who created, who did the final touches and obviously the material Mm -hmm. deviations that you're talking about. Um, and I just love that about our world, you know, there's this uniqueness to every person, every material, uh, and we even see it in our line of work, but Mm -hmm. you won't see the same thing twice or uh, it's uncommon to just by the nature of our laws in when it comes to material practices and the way things operate in general. So yeah, and tolerance bands, tolerance bands is yeah. really, if anyone isn't an engineer out there and you're curious why something might be different than something else, even though they're made by the same person, go look up tolerance bands or tolerance zones, because that will give you a good idea of why you can make one part the same way, but it's, going to be really hard to make it the literal exact same way. So they usually put tolerance zones on most features of manufacturing, whatever you do in with those, those tolerance zones, you can be plus or minus a little bit sometimes, and that will slightly change. And it's usually so small, you wouldn't notice it, but if you're really, really honing in on something, you'll be able to find a difference between a and B. See, and and this is where I have an issue with today's culture, Sean, because we have people out there, pixel peepers, maybe that's what you could call them, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that are looking at something instead of finding this exact process of what you're talking about, where, and we've, we've been doing this since we were, even before we could establish an actual tolerance band physically, Mm -hmm. it's the eye check, right? Yeah. Does that meet my eye tolerance. I mean, I used to work in a sign shop. We don't pull out calipers. We it's, it's, does that meet, you know, is that within my, the owner would come over and walk over and say, Oh yeah, that, that that's within the, you know, Mm -hmm. our margin. I mean, you know, it, it starts very simply and, and there's so much of that in life. And when you break it down to this pixel peeping where, you know, you pull out your magnifying glass, you're eliminating in my mind, the art behind the product because somebody, for instance, again, going back to just something simple as a watch, but somebody took the time or maybe they did, or maybe they didn't it, depending on if their process is machined where Mm -hmm. you're going to have right. It no deviation between any one product, but then the uniqueness is lost because it's been done by a robot, a robot. Exactly. And, you, and, and so, yeah, maybe you have this, it's such a fine line, right? Because Timex as a brand, Timex watches listeners, 
all of their stuff is done by, or most of their mainstream stuff is going to be done by machines. And you're going to have a high level of tolerance associated with any one of their products. Whereas if you go to something else, like a higher end brand, like Rolex, or you could get a piece and yes, it's going to be within their tolerance bands that they hold them to, but say something was slightly off, like the date window was just up a bit or something, you know, people would just have a cow. I spent all this money, but you could also look at it in, in sort of a positive way where it's, Oh, well, a human touched this and that's Mm -hmm. proof that the a human hand touched this. And that kind of, in my mind, this is where I guess my point of this whole soapbox stand up here is that it is cool to have a product where you can see, Oh, that's not just perfect. You know, there's, there's a little, this is, it's almost it's like unique. it's mine. Yes. Yeah. It, it's mine. Even, even over time. Right. I, I bet you, if you were to go to some of these, sharpshooters in the military or say a sniper or something, they could probably tell you a story or probably a handful of stories about how various things happen to their, Mm -hmm. their guns, Um, whether it be a scratch or uh, you know, a dent in the frame, something, and then how that even impacted the, as you're saying, the accuracy after the fact, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I was, I was on my knees and I accidentally threw it up on a rock. And, you know, I don't know. I would love to sit down with uh, a marksman, you know, a military marksman. Maybe mm-hmm. we need to get one in here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would like to, to do that too. But yeah, you're, you're completely right. The, the, there's a fine balance of having repeatability and having uh, variability. You know, you, you, depending on the application, you either want them to be super super, uh, accurate and repeatable, like a lot of the work that you and I do, but a lot of stuff that you can have that wiggle room. Sometimes there's something that's lost if you don't have that wiggle room. If if you really think about it and you look at the, the things that are worth a lot of money, when it's something that's mass produced, it's not the things that are mass produced. It's the things where there was a mistake. You know, you look at a wine bottle and it's one of 10,000 wine bottles that were made, but only three of them had a a label mismatched or a label issue. And all of a sudden that wine bottle is now worth twice what any of the other 9,997 are. So sometimes those unique things can be valuable to us. So it's about finding that balance. But I also think that really applies to, to people too. You know, you have to, everyone should enjoy their, their uniqueness and should really, uh, value that because if we're all the same, we're just never gonna, we're never going to progress. We need that uniqueness in, in each other. Yeah, I agree. And I just saw, I wish I could find this. Uh, there was, there's that really famous artist, um, that I forget what his name is specifically, but he, he, uh, played this it he's known for making this great art but he also pranks people a lot of times so at the auction itself at the sotheby auction as soon as the painting was bought Mm -hmm. he had it shredded oh he had a shredder in the frame right yes he put a a shredder in the frame of his art Mm -hmm. and um and so you know the person spent you know who knows how much money at, at at auction on this um, and then I, and see, I don't even know if it, okay, let's see. 
So what's his name? Banksy. That's that's his name. His name oh, is yeah. Banksy. 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 And so it was this picture of a of a girl holding a, a heart balloon. And yeah, so but but you're right. So now and now that actually just sold. So it was originally sold as um at 1.4 million. And then let's see. Now it's it's gonna be sold for even more than that. Good lord. Yeah. So they're saying it's expected to go between five to eight million. So it originally was sold for 1.4, but that is exactly what you're talking about. This exact same principle of sometimes the mistake or right. The prank mm-hmm. was supposed to, I don't even know, I guess who knows what, what this guy was trying to do to somebody. I mean, that I would be kind of mad if that happened, but the thing is the part of it still is it, it didn't shred the whole painting. If you look at it, um, I don't know if you can see my here, I'll show you. Okay. Yeah. So it only shredded about half of it. Yeah. So it shredded about half the painting and then there's, there's a little bit left, but anyway, this is just a great principle to, to think about mm-hmm. and to dwell on and, and a good reminder for us in our lives to just not be so hard on every single lighten up a little bit, I think. Yeah. When don't, it goes, be a, don't get too nitpicky. Yeah. Especially when it comes to our physical and, and a podcast that I know we will dive into a, or a topic, Sean, we've already talked about it, uh, but it hasn't come to fruition, but this will be coming on down the low, down the road listeners. Uh, but m- this idea of mementos or mm-hmm. um, something to pass down to your children after you know, years of them seeing you have something. I, I just really enjoy that. Um, that idea of one, you're not wasting something because you, you buy once cry once. <laughs> my, I forget one of my buddies told me that was that you, Sean? It, it might've been, I think we talked about that on, on a hike we were doing. It was, yeah, it was ago, probably but... when I, after, shortly after I bought my mountain bike. Yeah. I think that's and what I, it was. And I, I cried, think and I cried once. <laughs> but I haven't cried since. So except when I fell. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Sean. Well, anything else left to add here? I, I I just want to let the listeners know that next week. uh, So this weekend, Sean, I've I've already Mm -hmm. told you, you know, no, yeah, I am going to be doing my first ever tough mutter. It's not as cool as building a hunting rifle listeners. (laughs) But uh, I'm pretty excited because kind of in the same way you started the show, Sean, uh, we were trying to get a group of guys together to do this Tough Mudder. I've never done one before, but it was really interesting. You know, you don't know how people are going to react after COVID and the year that we've had mm-hmm. last year. I keep I don't even really want to talk about it. It's kind of like Baltimore. You don't want to name the year. or to yep. even. <laughs> <laughs> But so anyway, we didn't know what the turnout would be, but my buddy sent out the email and it's like a group of 25 guys. It was crazy. Dang. I mean, yeah, to have that many people. I mean, it was kind of like, it was just very surprising because most of the time when you send out an invite and it's a paid event, we know this, Sean, I mean, mm-hmm. your, your attendance drops by a large <laughs> margin, at least 50%. Yeah. I was, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so 23 guys, um, 
between 23 and 25. And we're all going to be running through the mud. I'm going to get my, I did my glacial stream uh, preparation. If you haven't heard our last episode, check it out. I talk about the Timberline Trail and and what I did uh, in Oregon. Uh, so check out that episode. But that prepared me, Sean, because there's mm-hmm. this thing called the Arctic Enema that's mm. going to get me. That's one of the challenges. So that sounds horrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be something. So I let me see if I can actually find these these challenges. You maybe you can walk me through the preparation that yeah. I need to. Uh, I, I gotta give you props. Tough, tough mutters. It's, it's another level of, uh, active activity, activeness that, uh, I don't, I don't know if I have the, the gall to do it, but it always looked really, really cool. It looked brutal though. I'll admit it looks brutal, but anyone I've talked to who's done it has never had anything but really good words to say about the activity and actually getting out there and doing it. Yeah. And I, I will definitely let you know next, next week, that'll be really fun to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know why it's so hard to find all the <laughs> obstacles because that's that, like, I swear. they're trying to hide it. So you know, you can't prepare. <laughs> okay. So here we go. I found it. Um, first one, the Arctic enema, a giant ice bath. There's not really much else to say, Sean Everest. This is one of the signature obstacles the block nest monster to defeat the mythical monster, the block nest monster, you need an army. Okay. All right. So sounds good. The mudder horn. This is the tallest obstacle ever erected. Mm. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Ooh, the electric shock therapy. As you approach the angry beast, you can hear it's clicking. It's a thousand yellow tongues at you. Oh, I know I'm misreading. You are insane for doing this. <laughs> it's going to be so cool to listen to. It's I can't your turn. Wait. You're about to dash through 10,000 volts of electricity. Okay. <laughs> the mud mile. Tough mutter staple. It's exactly what it sounds like, listeners. Ooh, the well swung. Okay. That's coming in fall 21, which is what we're doing. And then Castaway. Uh, yeah. Black Widow, Augustus Gloop 2.0. Entrapment. You'll need to go full on action hero to conquer entrapment with its low crawl through through 30 inches of arrow ever narrowing space. You better dream big, Sean, because this mutter is going to kill you. <laughs> you I made that I, part I, up. I, I cannot wait to hear about how this goes. I think this okay. is going to be a really cool experience. Dude, this one scares me. Cage crawl. This is a perfect chance to practice your backstroke under 60 feet of steel fence with only a few inches of air. What in the world? Like who made this up, Sean? (laughs) Oh man. Devil's beard. I wish you the the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. And then to to cap it all off, you have to hero carry somebody for a half mile or something. I mean, goodness. I don't know who came up with this, but whatever, Sean, what do I need to do to prep listeners? Maybe you can give me some tips. Yeah. Drop, drop some, some, uh, drop DMs some us on Instagram, drop some <laughs> knowledge on, on us usually, for how John could survive this. Usually we're, we're the ones dropping knowledge, but tonight, uh, we're asking for anyone who's got a line so that we can feel, feel ready to, uh, tackle this. Um, I'm going to need all the inspiration. 
my goodness. Anyway, uh, well, Sean, <laughs> on that note, we are here at the end of, of many things. I'm going to tell you this, Sean. <clears throat> I started watching uh, Lord of the Rings at my buddy's house in Arizona, extended edition. It is fall. So get, get your Lord of the Rings on. Oh yeah. The extended edition. So you have like 17 hours of movie, movie to watch. That's right, man. (laughs) The longest movies. But they're good, but man, they are, they are a commitment. Oh baby. It's a good commitment too. Oh man. Well, uh, anything else you want to add to this wonderful episode this evening, Sean? I think we've, <laughs> we've babbled on enough, Sean. <laughs> we've, we've, uh, divulged enough information about our lives in this episode. Well, I, That's I just wanted true. to thank, thank you and thank the listeners for continuing to stick with us. This is just a really fun project for John and I to do and get to hang out again and try and trying to get life back to some sort of normal uh, and having these conversations. So thank you, John. And thank you to listeners for sticking in with us. And, and I just, I just really appreciate getting to do this. Me too, Sean. It's been great. This has been another outstanding episode and don't forget listeners. We have plenty of ways to get in touch with us. I've talked about them in the beginning of this episode, but leave us uh, any comments or feedback on our website, howtohobbypodcast.com. And we just want to thank you for listening to another episode of the How To Hobby Podcast with your hosts, Sean and John. Join us next time for another rip-roaring adventure as we conquer life's hobbies, the hobby hill of life. Who knows what's going to happen? I might die and Sean may be full of wool, but it's going to be a fun (laughs) time regardless. And Sean, thanks again for staying around and listening to this uh, this craziness coming out of my mouth tonight. Uh, but have a great rest of your week and we will, uh, talk to you listeners next week. Peace.